You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Testudo Times Podcast. We're back for another great edition of our podcast. We have a special guest today along with me, Dylan Spilko, Lauren Roche, and Sam Ostry. We welcome Maryland Testudo Times volleyball beat reporter, Colin McNamara. Colin, thanks so much for joining us. We have a lot to go over with you with this great volleyball program. I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on. It's my podcast debut, so. Yeah, that's great. You know, um, ha- always happy to welcome on special guests. This is our first special guest that we've had during the fall season. So it's really good to have a, an, another voice talk about the team. So let's just start out with this Maryland volleyball team. I mean, they're off to a ridiculous start, 13 wins in their first 14 games. Just what's it like been covering this team so far? Um, so coming in, I, ha- I didn't know much about volleyball. I only kind of watched the Olympics. So just kind of learning the game and learning the team. It's honestly been a great experience. I'm very thankful for the opportunity. Um, and it's just a very action-packed sport, so um, it's just it's it's super exciting. I love doing it, honestly. Yeah, and it's your you said it already. Your first sport like beat that you've had, you know, is you didn't really know volleyball at first. What about the game has just most surprised you that you've been like watching it for now? It's been 14 games so far this season. What what about the game really interests you, and how the game goes along, and how Maryland plays it? Um, I just like how like exciting and action-packed it is um just the blocks the kills uh the diving digs um it's all just super exciting to watch um and and just learning a new sport in general is always is always fun um and i'm still picking up things throughout uh maryland's one of the best blocking teams so watching them get like a massive block at the net super exciting them erupting after every point um it's just it's just been a great experience and how surprised are you after the team's, you know, 13-1 and one start? All, they weren't really projected to be one of the, the better teams in the Big Ten. And now they're off to this, you know, this almost perfect start. They started 13-0. They just suffered their first loss. But coming into the season, obviously the expectations were low. Just what do you make of this team's start to the season overall? And really how surprised are you for how well they played? Uh, super surprised. I believe they've had eight newcomers. They've lost, like, they're two best players from last year, including Erica Pritchard. He's been one of the best players in program history. Um, just the fresh, like Milan Gomillion, who's a freshman starting for them. Uh, they have three sophomores starting for them. Paula Nesiporyuka is a graduate transfer. Just all the new faces being able to come together this quickly and, and start 13 and one, which is their best start since 2005. Uh, it's, it's been super surprising, um, especially their, their win over Wisconsin biggest win in program history. So uh, it's been super surprising and I'm super thankful that I get to, you know, cover them during the season. And which of the players that, you know, you mentioned some before, but I saw the first game when they played Virginia, I was there covering that one. That was a really fun one. And the energy with the team just seemed so, so noticeable. So after every point, you said it, I mean, they're celebrating after every point, it seems like a really tight knit group. Just what, what can you say about that? And which of these players are really standing out to you? that are, you know, making this, uh, making a big impact on the season? Uh, well, first, we'll start with Sydney Dowler, who won uh, two tournament MVPs during their uh, four non-conference tournament. She's consistent every game. She's great. Uh, never never has had a bad game, uh, for what I've seen. And uh, Ronell Jones is similar, super consistent, always reliable. But uh, my personal favorite is Sam Sire. Uh, she was a highly 
uh, recruited freshman last year. And coming into her sophomore season, I kind of projected her to kind of fill the role of Erica Pritchard, and she's this year for Penn State now. So I, I've been super pleased with her play, super surprising. She's an exciting player to watch. In the win over Wisconsin, she had the game-winning kill. Um, it seems like she really energizes the team, and she's kind of like the heart and soul of that team. And when you went to go cover that Wisconsin game in person, I mean, at the beginning of the season, these two teams are on completely different skill levels, different spectrums of just what kind of talent they were. Just take us through that entire experience, just leading up to that five-set game. Take us, you know, through Maryland's one of the biggest wins, if not the biggest win in program history. Right. Yeah. So coming into the season, Maryland was actually predicted to finish last in the Big Ten. Uh, Wisconsin, obviously the number two ranked team, predicted to finish first. So when I was actually walking over to the Xfinity Center, I was with some people who were covering the game, and they were just talking about, oh, like I I've never actually been to a Maryland game that we've lost, and just. If we're kind of saying how Maryland's not even going to score double digits in these sets. Um, Wisconsin has a massive height advantage. They have a 6'7", six, 6'8", six, and 6'9", middle blockers. Um, it, just, it just seemed like the, all the chips were stacked against Maryland. And they, they came out and they were fearless. You could, you could tell from their first point, they were energetic, erupting after every point. Uh, the crowd was insane. The stands were almost fully packed. Uh, the only time that it got a little dull was during the fourth set. Wisconsin kind of controlled that. But other than that, the crowd was standing up for every uh, point one. Uh, the fifth set was absolutely insane uh, when Sam Sire kind of pushed uh, Maryland over the edge and sparked that 8-0 run to close the set. Um, it, was, it was super energetic, and it was just a great environment and super fun experience to be a part of. And you talk about the Maryland crowd, but what about that, you know, how was Wisconsin's traveling fans? Were they making any noise? What kind of presence did they offer? Because I saw that there was a whole section of them in some of the highlights that I watched. Were they, were they making any noticeable impact on the game? What, what were they like there? Uh, yeah, I did. I did actually see the section. Uh, there are a couple of fans standing up screaming after some points. Um, yeah, the, yeah, they're I mean, they're the number two ranked team, so they're going to have fans traveling with them. They're you know, they've been one of the best volleyball programs. So they have a very loyal fan base um, who comes out and supports them every single game. Um, and, yeah, they're very evident uh, throughout the game. But I, I, think, I think we should them up, so that's us. <laughs> and now you guys are in the middle of the season. Maryland Volleyball is a uh, big, big 10 slate ahead. It's a very talented conference. And Maryland is just trying to basically find their footing in a conference that they weren't expected to do well in. What are some of these matchups that you're looking forward to? Are there any specific Big Ten teams that you have circled on the schedule and which teams are you most looking forward to seeing Maryland Volleyball compete against? Uh, first and foremost, it has to be Penn State, playing them uh, tonight, Wednesday night, uh, just, just simply because of the return of Erica Pritchard, who, as I mentioned earlier, has been one of the best players in program history, uh, the leader in total points, second leader in kills, fourth in service aces, uh, she's really just been like a stable for this team. And, you know, for her fifth year, she left and went to a uh, conference rival in Big Ten. So I'm, I'm covering them at home tonight. I'm super excited to see how the crowd welcomes her back, uh, if the team's extra motivated to play against her. This is, this is the game that I've had circled for a few weeks now. Yeah, she's probably going to be yeah, – Pritchard's going to be very motivated to go get a win on, in the pavilion. So that's going to be a really fun game to watch. 
And I just have one more question unless anyone else has anything to offer. But I just want to know, just in your opinion, because Maryland's success, 13 wins in 14 games, is that sustainable in this talented conference? And do you think Maryland is going to keep this going, basically? Because they went on like a crazy shutout stretch against non-conference opponents at the beginning of the year. Is that something that they can take into Big Ten play? And do you think they will? Um, it, it's kind of hard to predict, but I, I do, I do think they will. I'm confident in their team. Um, they, they were kind of favored in every non-conference matchup that they had, but not to the extent where they would be blowing out every single team in a 3-0 set win. The only team that they even had difficulties against was Temple who pushed them to a uh, five set victory. Um, and then, you know, coming into big 10 play number two, Wisconsin first, first conference, uh, game. Uh, you don't you don't know how they're going to perform, and then they come out and they win in a five set victory. So it's like it's, it just seems like they're the real deal. They did have a tough matchup uh, on Sunday against Minnesota, where they lost uh, in three sets. But I, I do I'm, I am confident in them. I do think they'll make the NCAA tournament this year for the first time since 2005. Um, yeah, I, I I think this is something that they'll be able to carry over the Big Ten play. All right, Kyle. I, I just. I just have one question for you. I mean, obviously you weren't covering the team last year. This is your first year covering the team, but they were five and 15 last year. I mean, what have they, and obviously it's been a complete turnaround. So what have they talked about throughout the year that, that they're attributed, attributing this turnaround to? Uh, so I had the opportunity to uh, talk with coach Adam Gase or Adam Hughes, excuse me. Um, and he was just talking about the chemistry and the experience that the graduate transfers have brought in. Um, and they're all really rallying behind each other. He kept reiterating the importance of their chemistry and what they've built in the, the locker room has been great for them. Um, and they, they just have a different variety of players who just offer so many different things. Uh, there, there have been some ga games where they've played 11 players, which is extremely unusual. So they just have a variety of players with different skill sets who all work really well together. So that's kind of what, what he was um, reiterating on. All right, Colin. Well, it was a pleasure having you here. Thank you for taking the time to join our wonderful podcast. Um, we thank you so much. And, you know, we'll be with you for the rest of the season while looking at those articles. So hopefully Maryland Volleyball can keep it up. And uh, have a good rest of your day, man. Thanks, Colin. Good luck the rest of the thank world. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me on. All right, I guess now we will move on to Maryland football. And Maryland, you know, just like volleyball, off to a wonderful start. Maryland is off to a 4-0 start for the first time since 2016. They've beaten all of their non-conference opponents for the first time in five years as well. And now let's talk about Maryland's latest win over Kent State. They beat them 37-16. Lauren and Sam, we got you back now. What are your initial thoughts on that win before we dig a little deeper? Um, so my initial thoughts were it was a good win. I mean, 37-16 was a result. The line was 14 and a half. So they really outperformed expectations. And I saw, I think we all saw a lot of people, even one of the most prominent alumni here, Scott Van Pelt, picking against Maryland, against the spread. They thought it was going to be a much closer game because Kent State had been impressive against some other Power 5 teams earlier in the year. So I think it was a good, impressive win. But something that we found all found interesting was after the game, Coach Loxley was not impressed. I mean, he said he respected winning, but they had a lot to clean up, and he knew it. There was a few drop balls from receivers on from some uncharacteristic drops from some guys, and there was a ton of discipline issues that came after the plays, of just like 
hits when when the whistle was already blown. So they really just need to clean up that discipline, those discipline issues, and just those, the sloppy play going into a huge game against Iowa, which we'll get into. But from just that pure that one game, I mean, they're four and up. They're four and zero for the first time since 2016, with the opportunity to be five and zero for the first time in two decades. So it, it was a quality win, but. Really, you could say the real Big Ten season starts this Friday night. Yeah, you mentioned um, Coach Michael Oxley not being too impressed after the win. I, you know, we've all been to those post-game pressers, and um, I wasn't able to go to the one against Kent State. But how? Just take me through. You know, how unimpressed was he with Maryland's win? What were the things that he was saying? Was he just unhappy with the team's discipline overall? What was you know? Was that the most frustrated that you've seen him after? uh a, a win this season absolutely um yeah there's no question it was the most frustrating we've seen after win because they haven't done a lot of winning so it's like you, you would expect and it's really telling about the direction that this program this culture is going in because it's really telling when a coach isn't impressed after a win when the last two seasons they've done very little winning so when they're and he said he respected winning he knows how important it is and then even this week, he was like, but it's not about it's not about the winning. It's not about the wins or the losses. It's really about the process and, and living up, which I have a piece coming out, as you know, soon about the standard, which they always talk about playing to their standard. And he believes even against a lesser opponent, even in a win, that they simply did not play up to their standard. And he's well aware if they play like that this coming Friday, they're, they're, it's not going to be pretty on Friday night. So, yeah, he was absolutely the most unimpressed and disappointed I've seen him because we've only seen wins so far. So it is telling when a coach like you see that and you see that with the best teams. You see it with Nick Saban at Alabama, Bill Belichick, you can say in the NFL, when a coach isn't impressed after a win, that means they hold their they hold their players and their team to a much higher standard than everyone else. And that's that's a winning culture. That's a winning locker room. Yeah. And, you know, Maryland started out slow in this one. Talia Tagovailoa had his first interception of the season. And we know on social media, pro fantasy or pro football focus, pro football giving, focus yeah. giving a ton of a ton of love. Love them. They absolutely love them. And, and the offensive line. They were highly graded this week as well. But pro football focus, you know, I think every time I open Twitter, I see something about how he's ranked as, you know. I think at this point, and, and they're right. I mean, it's been impressive. But I think at this point, they're just making stats up so they can have uh, yeah. Toledo as one of their top five guys. Yeah, I know. I don't, I, you know, there's how, how many different categories could there be? I don't know where they're getting these grades from, but it's making Talia look as good as he's been playing. But he did throw his first interception. It wasn't really his fault. It went off Rakim Jarrett's hands in the, the first quarter. But, you know, right away, it kind of looked like Kent State was going to keep this one close. I mean, they got the first three points on the board. Maryland didn't come out with any points on their first two possessions, I believe. But then you know, Maryland had one of, I think it's best response of the season because when they were playing Illinois and it was starting to become a defensive battle, Maryland's offense just couldn't get points on the board. Then I mean, that's, they got three points at half in that one. They only ended with 20. And after they were gifted a, a last minute field goal drive at the end of that one. But I mean, they scored three consecutive touchdowns against Kent state. And to me, that shows a ton of growth. I wrote that in uh, my takeaways article after the game, but just, just for the fact that how they looked against Illinois and then to come back and have a similar scenario against Kent State, but this time you rattle off 37 points when all is said and done after the slow start, I think it just shows a lot as to where this team is headed, and I think it was a really impressive bounce back. 
Absolutely. And you talk about the growth. I mean, that growth often comes from adversity and that's going to be huge for them because this next stretch is, it's going to, it's not going to be pretty in some areas. I mean, they have Iowa this week, number 11, Ohio state next week, and then a bunch more than they have their buy. And then a bunch more very difficult big 10 matchups against ranked teams. <laughs> so, excuse me. So that adversity that they're facing against Illinois, when they're down 17 to 10 with four minutes left on the clock, they come back to win Kent state. They're a lesser opponent, but they're still, they're, they're still playing well against Maryland in the beginning. You know, they're not, Maryland's not playing the best football. So that adversity that they're facing early on is really helpful. And the fact that they've overcome it, it's really going to be helpful when they get when they get in some tough situations, which they're sure to in the coming weeks. And what more could we say about junior quarterback Talia Tagovailoa after his he put off another just absolutely brilliant game as pro football focus certainly reminded us on Twitter. But he just kept his hot start going, throwing for 384 yards, 31 of 41 passing, and three touchdowns. I mean, this is just quarterback – this is elite-level quarterback play that the Maryland football program hasn't seen in a very, very long time. Yeah, it's it's funny you mention that because it was literally right before we came on recording, Ross Dellinger for Sports Illustrated had had a great piece that just came out about – I think they had 11 different quarterbacks – from like 2010 to 2019, there was something something along those numbers, definitely double-digit quarterbacks. And after all of that searching, it finally seems like Maryland's found the mainstay guy and not just some guy that they're throwing out there who's going to stay around. I mean, he's a really good quarterback, one of the best in the Big Ten, one of the best in the country, incredibly accurate all over the field, but especially on the deep ball, which can open up so much of the game. And then he can also use his legs. his quick release, precision. The guys love him. He obviously has great weapons outside, but there's really not much more you can say than um, than Talia's start. I mean, he should be in Heisman consideration, and we'll see what he does against tougher Big Ten defenses like this week, but he's been phenomenal so far. Yeah, I mean, he's thrown for 300 yards in three out of four games this season, and it's just, you know, it's so crazy to me because he's only played, what is it, you know, eight games, eight total yeah. games. I mean – I mean, that's not even a full normal season. It's, it's literally crazy what he's been able to do, just the amount of growth that he has shown in his career here at Maryland. And, I mean, I, I don't even know how many times we've said this stat, I think literally a trillion, that he's thrown – that he threw uh, seven picks last year in four games. And, and, but, like, we could, I'd say it 100 more times yeah, too because yeah. it's so telling that that's where the growth has come in his decision-making. I mean, that's been the biggest thing, limiting turnovers so far. They don't do that against certain opponents earlier this year, West Virginia, Illinois, maybe even Kent State, where they're not sitting here 4-0 going to Iowa. So, I mean, that's been the biggest thing and the most telling thing. We knew he was accurate. We knew he had a deep ball. We saw those big games last year. We can put up 350-plus passing yards like he's doing this year. But it was the decision-making on those turnovers, and he's finally got that down. He he did throw interception, which you mentioned, Dylan, um, earlier. But that wasn't his fault at all. It was off uh, Rakim Jarrett's hands. It wasn't the greatest pass, but it certainly wasn't Talia's fault. So he's sitting here with no true, in my mind, no true interceptions four weeks in. You know, like how sustainable is this? Because you just look at what he's, the steps that he's taken forward, and they're not like little progression steps. It's like last year he was more of like a Jekyll and Hyde, oh, are we going to get a 300-yard great game, or are we going to get a three-interception type game that Maryland's going to get blown out in? This year, it's like, okay, if Talia doesn't throw for 300 yards and two-plus touchdowns, it's not a good game, and it's not a game that we're, that Maryland is likely going to win. 
just, you know, with such a tough stretch ahead of Maryland football schedule, I just don't know how sustainable it is. But everything that he's shown on the field, I mean, it's hard to argue against it. But, I mean, tough de- tougher, tougher defenses are coming up. And we'll definitely preview the Iowa matchup soon. That's going to be a great one. But they just have so many tough defenses ahead. And like we saw on the road, I mean, he, Talia didn't necessarily struggle. But, you know, he didn't play as well as he did in the other three games. So I, I, you hope that it's a sustainable kind of goal for Talia to continue all these 300-yard games, the no interceptions, the touchdowns. But do, do you think it's really that sustainable with such a tough schedule coming up? Because yeah, I'm, well, I'm kind of 50-50 about it at this point. No, I mean, sustainable in – like in, in what regard is a question because sustainable, like throwing 350 passing yards against, <coughs> excuse me, against Iowa's defense, who we'll get to is an unreal secondary and Ohio state's defense. And against some really tough big 10 defenses throwing for that many passing yards and playing this efficient. No, I mean, that's not really not sustainable, but what it, sustainable, but what is sustainable for Talia is playing court, the quarterback position at a really high level and carrying this offense because the offense goes as Talia goes. I mean, it's a passing attack offense, as we've seen, and it's, and it's on the back of Talia. So that is sustainable because he is – he's proven. It's not a fluke that through these first four games, even if it's maybe not the best competition in the world, it's still – he's a very good quarterback, and him playing at a high level is sustainable. But, no, he's not going to have zero turnovers the rest of the way. He's not going to throw for 350 passing yards a game. But he's a great quarterback, and we're going to see him continue to be a great quarterback, even as he has some bad games, some bad drives, and some bad plays the rest of the season. And there's a glimmer of hope that it is sustainable because of just how many weapons that are on this Maryland offense. It's hard to deny what kinds of players, like the talent level all across the depth chart is so good for Maryland's offense. You got Dante Dimas Jr., who is – a workhorse wide receiver one. He only had four catches for 108 yards against Kent State, but that's all he really needed to do. I mean, he had three catches in the first half. I think definitely over 100. Must have been around like 102. And he had that first – he had that 33 or so yard touchdown where he was wide open. And I think that, you know, Tagovailoa's production is sustainable because of the weapons that he has, because of Dante Dimas, because of Rakim Jarrett. And now you got Tayon Fleet Davis, who's been quite impactful in the passing game as well. I mean, he's been a really efficient rusher. He's averaging 7.1 yards per rush. That places him in the – it's got to be in the top 15, the Big Ten. And then, you know, he's also got five total touchdowns, Tayon Fleet Davis. So, you know, he's also – I believe he's got also 77 receiving yards in the past two games. Just so many weapons for Tagovailoa to work with. And right now, 4-0, it's all clicking, and you just got to – I mean, this is obviously the matchup ahead against Iowa is going to be the biggest challenge that uh, Talia has this uh, up to this point of the season. So it's going to be really interesting to see what the distribution on the offense looks like. I think they'll definitely have to go more to a, a more spread out offense like they've been doing because that Iowa defense, I mean, the focus is definitely going to be on Demas and Jarrett. So they're going to have those guys locked down. So everyone else is going to really need to step up. Before we get to Iowa real quick, just if you talked about the depth and just the weapons he has outside, I mean, they had 12 receivers catch a pass um, against Kent State. I mean, that's remarkable. So even when Dante had a great game, uh, Rakim was a little more quiet, but even when those guys aren't um, 
playing at an exceptional level. They have Daryl Jones, Sean Jones, Brian Cobb, so many different guys coming in, um, so many different guys coming in and making an impact on the game on the perimeter. And that and that's just huge for them. That's just a testament to that wide receiver room and the recruiting and the depth that, that, that they possess there. Yeah, and I apologize for the radio silence. I was having major technical difficulties on my end since really the podcast started, but I'm back and I'm ready to chime in. And I agree, I picked up right with, I started hearing you both talk about the depth in this wide receiving core. And I think it's something that everyone has caught on to. And I think that, you know, that will definitely be tested against Iowa. And I'm really excited to see how that plays out. I think we saw against Kent State all the different receivers catch, but even beyond the 12 receivers catching or 12 players catching, making a reception, there are these core guys in the wide receiver room who I think we're going to continue to see break out a little bit. They got to tighten up some of the drops, which Lossley had mentioned after Kent State. I don't know if you had touched upon that, but that, you know, discipline is an area that they're still working on. And the, with the receiving core, Loxley said that, you know, when they're making those drops, they're beating themselves. But ultimately, like, if they can clean up those minor mistakes, they really are unstoppable. And it is that truly pick-your-poison offense that has really caught on, that saying really has caught on in that locker room with, you know, just really um, – Talia can really pass the ball to anyone in that receiving core and feel relatively confident about it. And that says a lot about the depth on this team. Yeah, and you mentioned the 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 lack of discipline, I should say, you know, that Maryland had in that game against Kent State. And that's why Loxley was so frustrated. We've heard since the preseason, you know, we want to play to the standard and we want to, you know, stop shooting ourselves in the foot and make our opponents beat us. But against Kent State, there were a bunch of penalties on Maryland's defense. Uh, there were a few pass interferences, you know, a few defensive holdings in games where – Maryland is going to have a not a three touchdown lead and not and when they're going to be closer against much more talented Big Ten teams all of a sudden do those you know those undisciplined plays that we've seen Maryland have in these first four games is that going to come back to bite them because I'm leaning towards yes at this point I mean you can only imagine that in a tight game and where Maryland's playing uh, Indiana or Michigan or a Penn State that early on maybe they get a defensive penalty that comes back to bite them you know I think that's a realistic possibility absolutely yeah. go ahead Lauren no I was just gonna say I think that if they you know if this game if Kent State didn't kind of serve as you know a wake-up call in the discipline area like I think we will see them potentially fall to an opponent this season due to beating themselves you know maybe it does it, they're keeping up with the play but ultimately these penalties are going to start to add up and you know, this is something that frustrates the coaching staff and Loxley makes that very clear, but I also think it frustrates them. And if, you know, it seemed like he had mentioned that the sentiment in the locker room after that win is that they felt very privileged to be at Fort No and that they'd worked hard to get there, but, you know, it kind of, they weren't happy with kind of the messiness and the sloppiness that that game had. And against these Big Ten opponents and in going forward in conference play, it's not really going to fly as much. It's not going to be able to they're not going to be able to kind of recover from those as well as they were able to recover in this Kent State game. And they won't necessarily have that cushion, at least not most of the time. And I think that, like, unless, you know, they kind of turn things around pretty quickly, we're going to see them start to beat themselves more and more over these next few games. Yeah, we all, we all know that Loxley's been preaching the discipline issues and 
hold, trying to hold him accountable from a discipline standpoint since the beginning of the season, coming in, going back to last season, he knew it was an issue. So he really been honing in that point. And I really thought they had been progressing through the first few weeks of the season. I think last week against Kent State in week four, they kind of took a step back a little bit. But also, a lot of those penalties in that game was were a couple of, there was, I think, two or three pass interference calls on deep balls um, against Kent State, and they love to throw the long ball. That can be an issue later in the season, just for the immediate match against Iowa. They're not exactly a team that loves to, like, hammer out that deep ball a lot. So I don't know if, if those cornerbacks in the secondary will have those kind of issues in terms of those types of penalties, which obviously are 15 yards and are pretty big when you get that called against you. But I so I do think, like Lauren, you were saying, it, you are right that it should be a wake-up call for, um, for Maryland against when they have that type of discipline issues because it really can come back and bite them if they don't clean it up against great Big Ten teams. If you're, if you're in a serious battle against the Big Ten team and you have, you're getting destroyed like 100 yards more in penalties than another one, I mean, it's, it's going to be tough to win that game. Even against Illinois, there was like a chop block that erased um, one of Maryland's touchdowns. Like that, that, if they don't have that there, Maryland easily wins, win, not, but wins that game way more easily than they did, and they're not trying to come from behind. So there's all these things that that'll factor into it in terms of the penalties, but I think they will get it cleaned up and they certainly need to, if they're going to compete with some of the best teams in the country. Yeah. The discipline, it's, it's something that, you know, I feel as though, I don't know when it's going to come, but I feel as though there's going to be one play this season where there's a flag thrown and it's going to haunt them. I don't know if it's going to be like a targeting and someone gets kicked out of the game or if it's going to be something else, but I just have, I don't know. I just have a bad feeling that just the, the, the undisciplined play sometimes, it's going to eventually really come back to hurt them. But besides being undisciplined, I mean, the secondary, it was, I think it was their worst game all season. And, you know, they've been a really great, a really great aspect of this Maryland defense that has been very, like, extremely stout through four games. But Dustin Crum, Kent State's quarterback, 308 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. And Maryland was getting beat on, you know, they were getting beat uh, in the passing game. And the rushing game was much better. They only gave up 3.2 yards per rush uh, to all of the carries, you know, in total for Kent State. But, you know, Maryland secondary, we know, so talented with Nick Cross, Tarheep Still, uh, Jacorian Bennett, you know, uh, Jordan Mosley. There, there's so many guys back there. Do, you know, is this kind of an outlier or – you know, if they offer this kind of performance again, is Maryland in trouble? I think that, you know, Sam and I said this while we were there, but um, Kent State loves that deep ball play. They just kind of throw it and see if, you know, they're trying to either draw the flag, which they did multiple times, or, you know, make the reception for 40 plus yards, whatever it is. So I think that they were just constantly being tested. And I don't know if they necessarily, I don't know the statistics of it looking back at their other games, but it definitely felt like that play was being used a lot more than it was in against, you know, than they had seen versus their other opponents. I think, you know, it could potentially spell trouble in the future, but I think that that secondary is incredibly strong and does have kind of more of that. It's not as young as some of the other units on the team. You know, there's a lot of veteran leadership that, Again, like they weren't happy. The team wasn't happy with their play, but they were still able to win. This could serve as kind of like up. Oh, that's kind of the turning point game where we look at that and we're like, well, 
or, you know, how they're saying like, they'll look at that and they'll think like, maybe that's not how we want to continue playing. So make the adjustments this week. Honestly, in the coming weeks, we'll have more of an idea of whether that is something that could potentially continue to be troublesome for them. But to me, it seemed like, you know, they'd been tested in a way that maybe they hadn't been tested before with that deep ball, multiple, the same play multiple times. Yeah, Lauren is definitely right. And I think that that game is more of an anomaly for Maryland secondary. I think that's really the strength of their defense. I mean, they have a lot of hard hitting guys and like who are really just love to tackle and, and get stops. And Nick Cross, Jacorian Bennett, um, Jordan Mosley, you mentioned a few, Dylan. But th those guys are great. And the set, the secondary is the strength of defense. If they can get pressure on the quarterback, that certainly helps the secondary. But so, yeah, I think they just really hadn't seen a quarterback and an offense so far this season that just loved to throw it long play after play, especially because they were constantly passing because they were down and trying to come back. So I'm not really worried about the secondary for the rest of the year. And the last thing that I kind of wanted to touch on before moving on to our Iowa preview, you know, Brandon Jennings, Ruben Hippolyte, both dealing with injuries. It seems that Jennings is a little more severe than Hippolyte. I believe that he said Hippolyte is likely to play, or he as in head coach Mike Loxley, uh, Ruben Hippolyte is likely to play and Brandon Jennings game time decision. And that, you know, they put him, the, the depth chart is weird how they put him as starters on the game notes. And I feel like Jennings at this point is more likely not to play because, you know, from a coach's perspective, why not put him on the depth chart as the starter? And why not just say all week that he is a game time decision so that you can not reveal any kind of game plan to, uh, or whatever, what player, what personnel is going to be out there against Iowa. I mean, is that what you guys kind of got from that, from those statements about Jennings being a game time decision? Because right now I'm thinking that I really don't think that he's going to play because that injury looks severe, severe enough where he would miss maybe a, a week or two at minimum. So, and it's not even been, it's going to be about just over under a week removed from the injury. So that's not a lot of recovery time. And the fact that he's a game time decision, I don't think bodes well for Brandon Jennings. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, I definitely think if he wasn't going to play and he really was a game time decision, they would do exactly what they're doing and put him on the depth chart and then just say that all week. Um, he hadn't played as of, he hadn't practiced, excuse me, Jennings as of Tuesday. So we don't know. We're not exactly sure the rest of the week, how it's played out. I think we'll find out more tomorrow, but in terms of like how that's going to affect the game, the linebacker group is going to be really, really important against Iowa. We're going to get into the preview later, but they love to run the ball and the linebacker group is really important in stopping the run. So if he can't play, it's going to be really, um, it's it's going to be it's going to be difficult to do that because he's been great so far this year. I think I'm sure he wants to play. There's no real reason. I mean, obviously, it's a huge game. It might be the biggest game of the year so far, but there's no real reason to rush him back because it's a long season. But at the same time, I do think if it was a more serious severe injury where he would be missing extensive time, I think they would come out and say that. So I'm not I'm not sure exactly the severity of the injury, but I do think that I think they're they think there's a chance he's going to play and they're really testing it out the rest of the week to see if he's been able to do certain movements. And obviously the training staff makes that judgment. But so I, I really don't know right now, but it's going to be a big loss if he doesn't go out there. Yeah. I don't think, you know, I think that we're going to have to try to find out more tomorrow, 
But at this point, um, I don't know, very up in the air for Brandon Jennings. He's a very impactful player on this defense. He's been kind of a mainstay at that linebacker spot. And he's, he's done a really good job with it. He's tied for second on the team in solo tackles. He's appeared in all four games. Um, he's got one QB hit on the season, one forced fumble. So he's really been very impactful for, for just being a, a freshman. And I think that I, I agree that, you know, if he doesn't end up playing against Iowa, it could spell some trouble for Maryland in the middle of the field on defense. So now I guess we will go over our Iowa matchup. You know, it's the most exciting matchup of the year so far. Number five, Iowa in College Park. We were kind of, I mean, I was kind of half expecting it to be a, a complete top 25 matchup. But Maryland, as we know, left just outside those rankings. Um, that kind of surprised me. But number five, Iowa coming into College Park. Maryland is 1-0 all time against Iowa in College Park. The Terps defeated the Hawkeyes 38-31. to Back in 2014, they came back from a 14-point deficit. Uh, outside of that, you know, both teams this season coming in undefeated. What are we expecting from this matchup? You know, is it more than just Iowa's defense and Maryland's offense going down? Because that's kind of the main storyline behind who's going to get the, the advantage over who. I mean, in terms of what we're expecting, number one, an electric atmosphere. I mean, I don't think we've, we're going to have seen a, as big of a game and as hype, has much hype surrounding a game since 2019 Penn State. When Maryland was 2-1 and one and Penn State came to town. But I don't think there was as much expectation that Maryland really had a – some Maryland were talking themselves into it. But I, the line in that game is much bigger than it is in this one. I was only favored by four. So I think first we're going to see an electric atmosphere. I know we're all excited. I know everyone in College Park is really excited um, for that Friday night matchup. I do think this is uh, exactly what you said, though, and it's a – being head to uh, it's a head-to-head -head matchup in terms of strengths. This is Maryland's passing attack, which is eighth in the nation, thirteenth in total offense, against Iowa's defense, which is third in scoring defense in the entire country. I mean, this is that's exactly what we're going to be getting. So we're going to have a matchup between what something has to give. One has to play better than the other. It's going to be Talia in the passing attack, or it's going to be. Um, Iowa's secondary, which is terrific, and they're all around defense, which has been able to limit opponents at an extremely high level so far this year. I So, I mean, that, that's what I think we're getting. I do also think that it's not just the passing attack, but it is an offensive battle as a whole for Maryland because they're really – I think they're going to try to do it. They're going to want to establish the run game early, and they've been trying to do that and trying to um, kind of balance it a little bit, even though the they're obviously a pass-heavy offense, as they should be with the weapons they have on the outside, and Talia – but if they can just if they don't have if they don't go down early and they don't have to pass the ball all the time and they can just run the ball and establish that and keep Maryland's and keep Iowa's defense on its toes, then I think they're going to have much more success in this game. I also think Maryland has an interesting advantage here, aside from being at home and being a Friday night, and you know the energy on campus has already been pretty high around this, and fans are excited. Maryland's already played. Um, a shortened week. They've already had, you know, the Saturday game, Friday night game on the road. I don't believe Iowa has had that yet. So, you know, Iowa coming out into the environment, which is predicted to be really full and exciting and loud, could definitely be, and it doesn't necessarily affect talent so, so much, but definitely gives Maryland a little bit of an extra edge. You know, they've already done the shortened week. They're playing at home and like, I well, I agree with you, Sam, that one of them is going to kind of have to give. And I think Maryland has a unique 
opportunity to kind of capitalize on the fact that they've already played a Friday night game and they did it away. And that was a much, I mean, easier opponent for them in terms of talent, but much harder shortened week, you know, traveling to Illinois, playing at um, nine o'clock on the East coast technically. So much different energy in this shortened week. I know that some of the players were saying that it doesn't affect as much because they've done it before but I think that that could come into an interesting um, edge for Maryland this week also. And Loxley also made a joke. Like he was like, Oh, we have to play another Friday night game. Like are we even in the big 10 really? It was funny, but I mean, he's right a little bit. Um, But at at the same time, it does, like you were saying, Lauren, it does, it does help them that they have that experience. Even if they don't like it, they lose a lot of sleep on that short week, but it, it can help them having that experience. Yeah, definitely not the best week to have a short week with one of the highest-ranked opponents going into College Park. But looking at Iowa, you know, fifth-best team in the country, 4-0 start, haven't scored less than 24 points on offense. But obviously that defense is their main focal point of their success. The maximum points that they've given up was 17 in that 27-17 to win over then-ranked, you know, number nine, Iowa State. So this defense is really going to bring it against Maryland's offense it's going to be quite, you know, it's very reminiscent of, I don't know why this sparked in my head, but when the Panthers played the Broncos in the, the Super Bowl, I remember the entire talk was about how the defense against the offense, which one will come out on top. And it's basically the same idea. So it's going to be a really fun game to watch. And well, that, that one was a blowout by the defense. Yeah, that defense. was a blowout by the defense. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure Mike Loxley isn't hoping that it's similar to that one. But I, I guess we could end off with, with our great predictions. I know it's our favorite part of the show, and I know it's Lauren's favorite part. But I, I do Lauren, Lauren won the prediction last week. Yeah, I, I know. I, know. Yes. Yes. I wasn't too off last week, so I can try again. We'll see. What do was your prediction last week? What was it? That's a good question. It was like 31-17, I think she said. Something like that. Okay. Wow. 31-14. No, 31-14, right? 31-14 four, sounds right. It's either 31-17 or 31-14. I was close. Yeah. Not bad. I said 31-21, so I overshot on Kent State's points and undershot ours. But I think Lauren gets that, that win for last week. So let's just get right into it. Well, what are our score predictions? What, what are we thinking? I'm stumped. Wow, everybody, um, everybody wants to go I, first. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll go. I, don't, I really don't know. It wouldn't shock. I was really surprised by the line. At Iowa minus four, I thought they were going to be favored by a lot. The more I think about it, it's going to be a great atmosphere. Maryland's at home, which really is an advantage in this one. And Iowa's not a team that's going to blow. Like, I do not expect – I will be shocked if Iowa blows Maryland out. It's just the way they play. They love to control the clock. When they're on, they, they don't make a lot of mistakes. When they're on offense, they, um, they, they love running the ball. They don't throw it a lot. They just make sure the quarterback doesn't make mistakes. So, again, it's going to be tough for Maryland to stop that running game, especially if they're – they're a little injured, banged up at linebacker. I really think this game comes down to the winner of this game is whoever wins the turnover battle. Uh, Maryland cannot turn the ball over on offense against a really good defense. But if they can create turnovers and give their offense more possessions, I really think they're going to have a much better time. So I would like to just leave it at that as my, as my prediction is whoever wins the turnover battle. But I will give a real prediction. Um, I'm going, going to go 24-21 Iowa. Okay, well, so that, yeah, so I was, I was going to say something similar to that. I'm going to go with 27 to, uh, 27 to 20 in favor of Iowa. I think that they, they get the win in College Park. I think it's going to be 
very close all the way into the end. And I, I do think it's going to come down to a turnover or two, but it's going to be so close every step of the way, but 27, 20, I, you know, hate to bet against the Terps in this scenario, but I, I mean, Iowa's defense, it's elite. It's, too, it's very good. And number five team in the country for a reason. Defense wins championships. So the defense is going to show out and, you know, it's going to be a tough match for Maryland. But, but again, before you go, Lauren, it wouldn't, it, it's, my expectation is too that the game is going to be really tight and it's going to come down to whoever has one of those last, it's going to come down to one of those last possessions. Um, but it wouldn't shock me at all if Maryland wins this game. I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest, but I am giving the advantage to Iowa. Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking about it. Maybe I, w- I, I was, I think it's going to be, I'm going back between. I think the score will be 24 to 21. That'll be my prediction. And I'll favor Maryland in it. Why not? What I'll say Maryland. Isn't that the same score that Sam said? Are you guys it is, but she has Maryland. I, oh, Maryland. Maryland winning. Maryland I, winning. Okay, okay, okay. I have Maryland winning. Okay, great. That's what I was going to say when he said it. Because, one, why not? It's a prediction. And, <laughs> you know, yeah. two, I don't – I mean, maybe it sounds naive, but – like, I think it's it's more fun to predict this way. I think that Maryland's defense is also not bad. So I don't think that, you know, it's necessarily so lopsided in, like, that sense. And, you know, Maryland's coming into this game a little bit of, you know, they're not, they're not ranked, which in some ways gives them a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, a little bit of an edge. Iowa's coming to their stadium. I mean, listen, Iowa's the number five team in the country, but – they have a really Maryland has a really hard schedule ahead, and this game is no exception. But could be could be an opportunity for them to really establish themselves as this program that they've been trying to. And if you know they play up to this standard, Sam, I know you mentioned that before. If they play up to this standard, they can maybe they can do it. All right, all the predictions are in, and that'll do it for another great Testudo Times podcast. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will get back to you next week with yet another podcast, and we will go over all the Iowa game, whatever happens there. So we'll see you next Wednesday. Thanks for listening.